I've taken <laughs> off the socks and I've rolled up my my trouser legs. I'm letting my shins breathe, and it's giving me the 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 energy that I need. So, Jimbo, shall we jump in? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm very excited, Sheppy. Um, I well, let's well look. Let's just introduce, and then I want to get to this. Yes, exactly. Cool. Well, look. Uh, well, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. Right, enough of that shit. Tell me, Jimbo, because I'm like, all right, all right, hang on, all right. Um, tell you what, Jimbo, this is a podcast about what ifs, alternative universes, sequels that never were, prequels that could have been, whispered promises in darkened theatres, and and today we're doing Teen Wolf, a uh, sequel to Teen Wolf, not Teen Wolf T O O. Um, with Jason Bateman, but a, a solid sequel to the Michael J. Fox. Um, now, when I set this, it was kind of in the back of my mind anyway, and we had just watched Teen Wolf, and so it was sort of on my mind, but I wasn't planning it. It's a real Who Framed Roger Rabbit wannabe. When I set it to you, it, even in my own mind, it was kind of a flight of the navigator feeling. Like, you know, we'll, we'll do it, it's fine. And then I was walking the old dog and I thought well I, I really I, I don't want Jimmy to like watch this you know whilst he's halfway through a sandwich you know doing work and things with it on in the background because actually and I kind of always trick myself into forgetting this but I really like Team Wolf and it's better than you know if I was be, if I was on films to be buried with and Brett Goldstein asked me what film I like that's generally not very well regarded, not least by Michael J. Fox, I would say Teen Wolf. But I don't know if it's if it's un, you know, favorably regarded or not. I think basically it's kind of like not usually, but I don't know. So so with that in mind, you gave me back very positive feedback as to your reaction. And I wanted to check in with you then. How genuine is that? Or are you just like tickling my lily? <laughs> Sheppy, I am not just tickling you, Lily, just to be spoiler alert, just to get that band-aid off for you in case there's any shred of a doubt. Um, <laughs> I yeah, so I did rewatch and I rewatched seriously with no distractions. P- conditions were perfect. It was a Sunday morning and uh, I, I heartily enjoyed the rewatch. It is not without its problems in terms mm. of standing up to modern day scrutiny in terms of a few bits and bobs. I mean, not least th- the fact that it's all about basketball and every single person in the movie is white, if you know what I mean, without uh, wanting to sound too Apart ridiculous. from Lemonade, there's a character called Lemonade. Yeah, who breaks um, down. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> But you're right. Um, I mean, it's yes, yes. But the, I mean, that aside, um, it, and, and there's just a couple of little moments where you just see the same play happen again in the montage. Right. So, so that was how how into it I was. I was fully watching, yeah. watching. Um, but um, I mean, you know, behind the curtains on shoulders of giant strippy, we sometimes we do take a fortnight over this. Sometimes we take a week. Sometimes we're we're hot on the heels of the other one, but. The bottom line is, this has been a week since set, and I've watched it. I, I, I had a birthday as well as we know, so I had a lot on. What's then happened is that I then was so 
like shocked with how much I loved it. I've written like a page of things I want to talk to you about the movie. <laughs> that's why I'm here. That's that. That's all I'm really after. Then that's like, amazing. <laughs> then uh, and then I had a couple of little childhood anecdotes in the same page. You'll be relieved to know, and uh, and, uh, and you know about it too, just memories. And then I um, I then started writing the pitch but as I was writing the pitch an idea for the Team Wolf 2 trailer came to me so I freaking wrote the Team Wolf 2 trailer it's <laughs> wonderful and then it came to this morning where we were talking earlier you know and I had to get up at 4am to even get anywhere near a coherent pitch together and one of the things you know I really was so excited about the coach and styles and bringing those yeah. characters back particularly and being able to write lines for them scenarios and I haven't really been able to do that and maybe Sheppy and this gives you your absolute answer to whether or not I loved it that's for the best because I'm telling you now if I had a gun to my head and I had who are your top 10 80s characters both those two would be in my list so um, I think that's they are awesome those two I think they absolutely lift the movie and Michael J. Fox's performance is great. I've got lots to say about the movie in a moment, but in our little tic-tac of text, I said to you, I think this is at least joint number two. We're back to the future two for Michael mm. J. Fox movies, and I stand by that. That's huge. And, you know, and as I replied to you, like, I was going to drop that bombshell. Now, I've been thinking about this film a lot, the last week whilst I've been you know mulling it all over um and I had to sort of take a step back and be like well so there's back to the future clearly is is the number one Michael J Fox movie I think you can agree um and then you know and then you sort of start thinking well if we're talking about him you know headlining films you know that sort of thing like as a quote-unquote Michael J Fox film it's like yeah there's some serious ones that he did which seen some of like casualties of war which I didn't love anyway but it, you know and the hard way I have fond memories of but I don't think it's that good probably I don't know but listeners write in tell me that I'm wrong and also the Frighteners I've been thinking about lately and I, I remember liking the Frighteners to an extent and so I might have to rewatch that at some point um but it really, yeah, it's all about Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2 for me. And again, somewhat controversially, I'm not a huge fan these days of number three. Um, so, and I love Back to the Future 2 very, very much. And, you know, Secret of My Success, I should watch again, because I haven't seen that for a long time. And I watched The Concierge a few months ago, randomly on Netflix, and it was okay. It was just really random. And I was like, I've never seen this. And just watch a random film. But yeah. For Teen Wolf to legitimately be potentially equal to Back to the Future 2 is huge. And, and I think it's about right. Yeah, I think, I think so. And I'll say this, and this is off on one a bit, but you and I, I went to a fancy dress party with you in London, maybe 2005, something like that. Uh, it was when it was probably when you went as Batman with the floppy ears, and I went as a Mexican. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of things, I, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Right, brilliant. <laughs> uh, that's nice. And there was someone there as Teen Wolf. Yeah, and they—I yeah. don't know because they. Oh, there you go. Because they had a Teen Wolf head, and 
Oh, uh, a Wolfit um, T-shirt, like legit, which Styles is selling in the film. It was a, it was very impressive. Um, so I, I remember being very, very impressed with that that night because that's that's solid stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, it's a four-star film for me, and like you say, it's not without its problems, and also a film about a teen wolf playing basketball. It's such a random concept, which is inherently like stupid. But once you get past that and like, well, what does he do? Does he eat people? Does he, you know, have problems? No, no. Does he lose control? Does he like any werewolf or the Hulk? Does he like wake up in the morning? Does no no no. It's him, but he's just got sort of power. So it's essentially a superhero film with more hair. Uh, and it's kind of like the whole film is the first act of your standard, and it's very similar in many ways to a Spider-Man film or a Spider-Man story, to the point where his dad says, with great power comes great responsibility. He really does, he just yeah. says it. And it, by the way, it's written by Joseph Loeb, or Loeb, or Loeb, who went on to have a very prestigious comic book writing career. He also co-wrote Commando, so there you go. In the same um, year, Sheppy. In the same year. Amazing. Whoa, whoa, what a... Whoa. Just incredible. <laughs> And he's now, or he's been running a lot of Marvel TV shows in the last 10 years or so. So he is all about that. But they kind of do it where they don't say, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, like Spider-Man and Uncle Ben. It's like, no, no, we're going to just say it because no one knows what Spider-Man is in 1995. So it's like, all right, fine. But it is like a Spider-Man film in a sense, but it's like the whole film is the first act. So the basketball game would be in a Spider-Man film where he like humiliates Flash Thompson, for example. Uh, but it's not, it's the whole film. And I like that too. Um, so yeah, I wanted to say that. And it's just, it's interesting you said about the Hulk stuff as well. And it's not, I mean, I think the first transformation is on a full moon, but it's, um, you know, he can turn it on and off as he wants to. It's not like he's he gets triggered on the court as well, doesn't he? To to turn, I guess he wouldn't necessarily choose to. In well, that, in that it's game. like he says, like I can do it whenever I want, but sometimes it happens when I don't want it to. Mm. Yeah, nice. I bet you pulled that, well, Sheppy. I bet you pulled. Well, that. <laughs> um, actually, no, I, I haven't. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you something else. Um, he. Um, once he does wolf out accidentally on the basketball court and then everyone sees him and then there's that wonderful moment where he's just like, everyone goes, yeah, okay. And they get, there's that massive moment of stunned silence, but then everyone gets on board and goes, hey, he can play basketball. And they're all on board. And you just, that sums up the film. You just have to get on board with it, just like everyone else does. So I like that. And after that, he doesn't change accidentally. Once he's done that and he's comfortable, and he's being cool in school, then he doesn't accidentally change again after that, um, which is fine. You don't need it. But I love that whole build-up where he doesn't want to change, and he's freaking out, wolf, ah, and all of that, and running down the corridors, hey, that's where to, and all of that um, is, is wonderful. I'm a big fan, and, you know, Actually going into the bathroom. Yeah, first half is stronger than the second on that basis. It's got great build-up, this movie. Great, great build-up. Yeah, man. So I wanted to ask you, was because we obviously 
saw it together in terms of the uh well the moment that we'll come to in a moment um, mm-hmm. the but did you i mean i saw it before we watched it together yeah. Shippy, so i'm sure you did yeah. too right i saw it at cranley cinema oh you're a brave man Shippy. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and i'll tell you this um now i it's everywhere says that teen wolf was 1985 and that's certainly when it was released but it was made before back to the future um I think it might have been made in 84 and then released basically off the back of Back to the Future's success. And I think I saw, I have a memory, which I, I might as well just share now. I'm sitting in the cinema and I'm wearing my black Wellington boots. I don't know why I'm wearing those in Cranley Cinema, but I am. It's not like I traipsed across a field to get there, but I remember distinctly, I'm wearing my black wellies and I'm with my mum. And You're wearing so, something else as well, Sheppy, aren't you? Just to be Black clear. Wellingtons, that's all you have to know. That's all you have to think about. And Zoe Lawson, who was this tomboy friend of mine, she was a few rows ahead or something. She came to join us and she said, oh, did, have you seen Back to the Future? Like before the film started, before ba 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 get the munchies. And, um, and so we had both, we, we had seen Back to the Future only several weeks before so it really was hot off the top of the back of that um so that's my my memory also the bit that we are going to talk about it does come into play here i think i had seen an advert on the tv one of those three second adverts you know for for a film and and in the advert it showed him change and it showed ruining this really wonderful reveal, it showed the bit of him opening the bathroom, like, okay, dad, you asked for it, and his dad has changed, and it's this very good twist, actually, you're not seeing it coming, if it weren't for that stupid twist, um, a stupid trailer, but I remember I saw that, and it must have only been, like, a week before, if at the most, but I'm there in the cinema in 1985, and it's that bit. He's like, Scott Howard, this is your father speaking. Now open this door this instant. Like, okay, Dad, you asked for it. And I remember thinking, I know that I dreamt that his father is a werewolf. I know that I didn't see it. Even though logically I'm thinking, well, I must be psychic because this whole buildup is exactly like my so-called dream. But so I'm, like, so I'm so glad I knew 100% that when he opened that door, the dad would not be a werewolf. I was just like, well, yeah, because that would be ridiculous. And then he opened the door and the dad was a werewolf and everyone in the cinema was like, ah, ha, ha. And I remember being like, bah, ah, ah. And I was against it for like a second. And then I guess I just went with it. And then of course, when we saw it, that became something rather huge. But it's just a weird, again, random memory of me watching that film. Do you think that moment is, because I agree with you, a wonderful twist. You've been following Scott. You think it's just happening to him, and it, you know, and it's just, it's just stunning. And if you think about the metaphor for it and growing up and everything, it's just yeah. nice. You know, it's nice that yeah. the dad's been there too. Um, I so I it, do you think that is the two the ten seconds we've watched the most together? That moment where because uh, the cuteness of the dad also 
yeah. was a huge laugh release for us as a kid yeah. at one point. Was it? I think we called him Munchkin Face or something. We did, we did call him Munchkin, the Munchkin. <laughs> yes. And the fact he still got on his massive 80s glasses. <laughs> yes. and, and the fact that he's, you know, when they are wolves, they're not in any way animalistic. You know, they are just chilling out, especially the dad who's lived with it for so long. So when he opens the door, it's still, he's kind of got this kind of po face um, <laughs> underneath the hair. And it's it's wonderful. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a really good moment. And yes, we loved that. And no, we probably haven't seen another ten seconds more together than that ten seconds. <laughs> we wore out your VHS. We wore out the Richard Horth device. Uh, yeah, it's true, and it's great. Good stuff. Can I, can I share um, my memory of it, Sheppy, too, then, quickly? So I just wanted to say, very similarly to you, so this this all happened for both of us before we'd even met, right? So I, yeah. I remember vividly a very early cinema experience where I went to watch Back to the Future at the cinema with an American friend called Pendleton Peary. I mean, you know... All That's names, amazing. Yeah, all names have not been changed, Sheppy. So we go, I'm just throwing him out there. Poor old Pendleton for our listenership. Pendleton Peary. That's, yeah. a, that's a great name. How the hell his family ended up in Tooting, South London, we'll never bloody know, <laughs> Sheppy, but they did. And, um, and, I, and in fact, by the way, his mum was waiting for him outside school one day and she got her necklace snatched off her neck from the car oh window. My- that's at the school at like half past three. Anyway, that's another story. Did they catch you? Because <laughs> it looks lovely on you right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing my pearls around on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, poor old Mrs. Perry's probably still getting counselling and I'm just joking about yeah. the pearls. <laughs> Coming all the way to like, you know, yeah, we've got to get out of New York. This place is dangerous. Let's go to <laughs> safe old England. Yeah. That's traumatic. <laughs> um, but he'd been back to the future. We all know how that went down for his birthday. And, um, you know, of course, just the most stunning thing in the world. When it came to my birthday several months later, mum was charged with getting back to the future out on video for us from Mr. Video in Tooting. And um, I was aware of Team Wolf, Sheppy. I'd seen the poster and stuff. But, you know... I was such a big, well, still am a bloody big scaredy cat, you know, and I I was just very scared of the movie. Like, I just remember thinking, oh, it sounds really like a horror or something. And um, anyway, because normally, right, you know, exactly like Temple of Doom was my first indie. And then I hear from Ian, stepdaddy, and like, you know, oh, there's a, there's a whole movie called Rages of the Lost Ark. And I'm like, what the? That's absolutely amazing. It's another indie. So you watched it in the chronological order. (laughs) You followed his adventure as Jones did. That's amazing. That's that's exactly it. And then so with this, it's the opposite reaction, Sheppy. It's like, I should be having the indie reaction. I should be like, holy shit, it's another Jay Fox movie. Instead, I'm like cowering at the thought of watching Team Wolf. Anyway, birthday rolls around. Mum goes to Mr. Video to get back to the future out. Um, and comes back with Team Wolf. And I remember vividly all the gang from school very excited about it. And me, on my own birthday, going home with mum and the kids. 
Um, and she's got the, you know, you're talking about it before a little bit as well, but I remember vividly like the little plastic video box, PG around the outside, the formal Timor sticker on the middle of it, you know, and my heart going boom, 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 boom. It's got like oh, the car was really scared. And then, of course, you know, there's Munchkin and everything has ended happening. And it starts as well, like it could be a horror. Like it looks like it could be a moon yeah. and it's the boom, 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 boom. And it's the as he's breathing and everything and you see it's a light and then it pulls out of his bicycle and all that it's like a nice it's a bit of a flight of the navigator want to be misdirect in that you think you know what it is and then it's not at that point that's really nice and i've gone with a similar misdirect sheppy but we'll come to mine later sheppy i will say well, we can definitely get to the pitches but I have got some thoughts on the movie. And um, and when we do get to the pictures, by the way, I think this is, I'm just going to make a, a call. Given how tight the brief was on this, we, we both might go down very similar highways. I'm very interested where you've gone when we get there. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just what you said earlier about something about a thread that I was pulled and it didn't even occur to me. So maybe not, Jimmy, maybe not. And I haven't gone off on one. I've, I've written a few scenes. But um, but it, I I've I've done it more like a kind of you know a, a, an overall thing without yeah. this happening, this happening, this happening necessarily. Um, can I quickly say, um, I've had like I was I was born again, Jimbo. I was born again because well, let's say I had three major Teen Wolf experiences in my life. There was the first time at the cinema, and then I guess the second time was with you. And really getting into the munchkin of it all, which was probably only a, like a like 88, I would have so only like a few years later. Then, and I, I don't think I saw it during the 90s, um, I do recall, well, okay, so it was, it was 2001, I believe, it was when I was working in London, and I was home in Cranley for the weekend for uh, Sunday uh, lunch. And it was me and my mum and John stepdad and Iris step grandma and Katie stepsister um, and Zoot cat not step and we had the Sunday lunch and it was lovely and I kind of remember when we were clearing up the plates I announced to everyone bearing in mind I wasn't a kid in two thousand and one but I announced to everyone at two o'clock. Teen Wolf is on UK Gold. I think it was UK Gold for some reason. But I'm sure it was. The Teen Wolf is on, or maybe it was a sci-fi channel. And um, I'm going to be watching it, so, um, just to let you all know. <laughs> you know, in the lounge, it's after Sunday lunch. Everyone's going to be reading the, the papers and chilling out. And, you know, it's like, but, you know, you, you, can, you can read your paper, but you can't really talk very much because I'm watching Teen Wolf. And, you know, everyone's welcome to watch Teen Wolf with me. Basically, um, so I, I get ready and I go and I, I and I think it is the first time I had seen Teen for a solid ten years, um, maybe more, and and I watched it then with everyone and everyone basically watched it and it was nice. It, you know, there was like banter and talking, but it was one of the best cinematic, well, film um, experiences of my entire life. Everyone really got into it. Iris and, and you know, who's like you know, two hundred years old, really into it, and and everyone. Um, and I remember just really, really enjoying it. And then the next day, 
I went back to London in the morning and got to Hammersmith where I was working. And I remember singing, uh, and I'm going to say it was probably out loud, singing Win in the End, one of the two power ballads that I fucking love from that. Uh, and I was singing it as I was walking through um, Waterloo Station at like eight o'clock in the morning on Monday, really, really going for it. So, so that's my other Teen Wolf memory that I wanted to share. And that's why a few years later when we were um, on your party, um, when, the, uh, when, when we dressed as Teen Wolf, I was really, really into it at that point. And again, a few years up, so like around 2000 and let's say four or five, I bought Teen Wolf um, online on DVD, but it was cheaper to buy Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2 um, than if I just bought Teen Wolf by itself. So I just so I bought Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2, but I, I never revisited Teen Wolf 2. And now, frankly, I'm sort of tempted to give it another go. I will say about Teen Wolf 2, I saw that at the cinema in Guildford with my mum. I think it was 88 maybe even 87, um, Jason Bateman. But it is one of those sequels that really hits the same beats and it's very lazy in a lot of ways. It's boxing, not basketball, but he goes through exactly the same, you know, character arc, uh, Monty Glory and, and all that. Um, so, but I am tempted to see it again, just, just out of interest. Have you seen Teen Wolf 2? Yeah, I have, Shep. I don't really remember. I remember him being... I. Now, I might be misremembering, but I remember him actually using a bit of the wolf at the end, maybe, to win the boxing fight. I'm not sure. but No, no, he's tempted. His eyes yeah. go red, but then he's... He, I, I mean, I, get, look, I haven't seen it since 1988, but um, he, I believe his eyes go red, but then he shakes it off, and, it's, nice. yeah, and, he, and he doesn't, and he wins on the nose. But, I mean, as a Bateman, a massive Bateman fan now, like, yeah. it would be such a good curio, because yeah. to say, you know, that... He should his career almost should be on the canvas in some ways, right? And then you know, I love that his sister, I think, is the one in family mm. ties, isn't she? Or am I yes, and that? she yeah, was and the it. biggest star for a hot minute. Yeah. And then yeah. anyway, but I just I I think actually I'm going to watch it because you know, arrested development, yeah. holy shit, amazing, you know, and then uh, Ozark for God's sake, absolutely yeah. stunning. So you know which he directs really, really well as well. Um <laughs> Um, I actually, you know, I asked you, uh, had you seen Team Wolf 2? It occurs to me, I knew you'd seen Team Wolf 2 because that's the other thing I wanted to mention. We were in the uh, playground of Parkmead Middle School, you and I, Jimbo, and we had been having a small debate for probably like only a day or two, but in my mind it was for weeks. Maybe it was weeks knowing us. We'll get some about, Everybody's oh, there. so <laughs> in it. It was a real deal breaker. And we... We, you were saying Team Wolf 2 was better than Team Wolf. And I was saying, no, Team Wolf is better than Team Wolf 2. So for a moment where well, you were always Team Bateman, and I'm not holding that against you, but you were really into it. But I remember so clearly, you remember that the building, uh, Mrs. McKenzie's classroom on the top floor, with, um, and out around the back of that, you had the playground area and a little bit of grass. Um, it was right there. I can picture it very clearly. And you came up to me on, on, on break and you said, Sheppy, and I'm paraphrasing, but you said, Sheppy, I'm a fool. I watched Team Wolf yesterday and the bit at the end when he throws the ball 
and it goes bong, bong, and it bounces on the rim. And it, when it goes in and he makes the shot and the music kicks off, you said, that was Spine Shiver City, baby. Uh, so so you, recount, you, you, you went back on it and you said Team Wolf is better than Team Wolf 2. Let everyone know it. And Manfi didn't know where to look. So that's my other memory that I wanted to share. Well, that makes me happy. I will say I think there's a better shiver now. I think the shoot at that boy and then uh -huh. the, the win in the end kicking in, the little early beats of that yeah. at the end. I yeah, mean, and win in the end, oh, my God. What a song. And by the way, shoot it, fat boy, was a thing which we have said many times to each other <laughs> over the years as well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's had a lot of influence. With, with or without a ball in your hand. <laughs> oh, yeah, or an apple in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, huge. Uh, shoot it shoot him bad boy and he does it and then later um he does that really cocky move where he throws the ball and it goes in and he's really happy yeah yeah amazing amazing i had a really so I, that, I i also as part of this Sheppy, i was walking the doggy and i listened to the rewatchables do team wolf which is really easily done on spotify if you just uh -huh. google it and um and they have a re they're, they're they're sport geeks first movie geeks second, so they absolutely and very unfairly tear Team Wolf oh, no. ribbon on the basketball. But um but but what else they say is just it's so ridiculous that Scott keeps jumping into Chubby like you know jumping into his arm when actually the team's resetting and running up the other end like come on let's <laughs> stop doing that do that it's a fair play for nice. those guys they have a very very funny uh team I, well i bet they, they they must love escape to victory where sylvester stallone wins the football match by saving a goal and that's how they win like <laughs> he saves the goal that's great but they win because of that it doesn't make much sense but <laughs> I, I like it <laughs> i like it a lot <laughs> oh man well okay I'm going to give you, so here's my, well, let me just suggest, Sheppy, let me do my pitch to you, because I've been a real geek and I've done a trailer, why don't I do, not my pitch, sorry, let me do my debrief on the movie, just quick observations, about yes, 10 really. of them, and then I'm going to give you my trailer for my team wall, if that's all right, oh then God, we'll do your pitch, wonderful. and then my stupid trailer idea will work as a trailer for my pitch. <laughs> oh my God, this works on every level. Yes, please. This is great. By the way, and just before I forget, you know who directed Teen Wolf is the same guy who directed another film close to our hearts. Do you know this? Oh, I don't. Go on, go on. What's that? Uh, he did Canine. Holy shit. Nice. I know. So he's got a thing about hairy faces. <laughs> um, I think he is very short, Sheppy. I've got to say, um, I you know uh well this will be the last time i reference it in terms of another pod but i learned from that uh rewatchables pod that they have they only had like very very few minutes of basketball they could use because everyone was so terrible <laughs> <laughs> and he's pulled together something coherent from that right which is nice you know so that's yeah it's, yeah it's and that makes up for them reusing the same shot which by the way if it's good enough for john g avilston at the end of rocky where that exact thing happens not quite to the same degree but at the end uh, right at the end of like round 14 in rocky Apollo goes to punch Rocky and he ducks underneath and then cracks Apollo twice in the ribs. But they show the same shot twice in a row. So it looks like it happens twice, but it's just they, they had it obviously from different angles. They said, let's do it twice for an extra beat. Oh, interesting. Um, 
And it's not one of those edits where, like in a, a car explosion in the 18, for example, where you see the same explosion from different angles and you see the whole thing. And you kind of like, you know, you know it's not blowing up five times. You you go with it on the over being like, okay, that's a stylistic choice. You are told in Rocky, I believe, you're meant to believe Apollo swings, Rocky ducks, cracks him twice in the ribs, and then Apollo swings again. Rocky ducks again and cracks him twice in the ribs. That's what you're meant to take from that. But when you really look at it, you're like, that's the same thing. But I love it. But there you go. That's nice shit. I will not watch that again the same. I'm very, yeah, nice. Cool. It's works. <laughs> um, okay. So I've done all that first bit. Fine. Happy. Cool. So I wanted to say Pamela was a very formative character for me as a young man. Like I had a big yeah, crush right. on her and. You know, of course, it's not appropriate to anymore, given my um, advancing years, Sheppy, but I would just say she... Uh, yeah, but she looks about 45, so I think she's <laughs> safe. Well, we'll get to Mick as well in a minute. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah. Be still my beating heart. The jail time. <laughs> but I, I would put her in the, the top three um, 80s ladies I had a crush on as a kid, probably. Um, and, and I'm sure one of the Elizabeth Shoe roles is, is in the other. And then I don't know who the third is. Do you have an 80s crush that you want to share with uh, the good people at home, Sheppy? I mean, I, well, I mean, if you count Ursa, of which course. is well, then that, they, that, that has to count, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, it's a 70s crush, but Naomi from Spy Who Loved Me sort of transcends oh, yeah. decade. Oh, well, that's pretty special. Yeah. Ringo bloody star, man. Jesus. Ridiculous. Well, no, that's Barbara Back. Of course um, it is. Sorry. So Bond does well, doesn't he, in that one? Jesus. Well, he, does, he doesn't actually... The only time he, quote-unquote, torpedoes Naomi is when he actually shoots a torpedo and blows her up. So he doesn't use the more torpedo. <laughs> but he does say goodbye to an unexpected guest. Anyway, I feel like we're tangenting... Before we sing the podcast, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> so let me say coach finstock is amazing sheppy i mean i'm going to use some of his lines later spoiler alert for the trailer but um just amazing even just the opening when chubby's going for a shot and the ball comes out of play like ridiculously <laughs> at an angle and that's when he goes that kid's got a great arm it's amazing um, well, and he and he's like tries to give up, you know, he tries to throw the match and, and the guy's like, no, he goes, no. He's like, so if you quit now, there's a lot to win. Yeah, there's a lot to learn from losing. And he goes, I just thought if we quit now, you could beat the five o'clock traffic. Uh, that's amazing. He, he can't even quit successfully. <laughs> yeah, he is wonderful. Um, Styles equally wonderful. What a character. Like, even just in the locker room when he gets picked up by Mick, and crucially, after he's been picked, after he's been picked up by Mick, and he's like, hey, Mick, can we talk? Like, even that is amazing. Like, you know, it's just, I mean, we know about the locker and the balloon stuff, which I was excited That's to see. That's the other formative experience. Like, yeah, how's it going, Styles? We probably said that to each other even more than uh, Shoot a Fat Boy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. How's it going? And then the balloon comes out. <laughs> yeah, it's genius. It's amazing. Like, so the Mick character, I had forgotten. Not only was he, I knew he was basically an older kid in the school, which is how they explain away the fact he looks thirty. Um, well, but he did time, Sheppy, I and mean, he's a real villain. 
And it always yeah. bothered me at the dance at the end. I mean, of course, what's interesting is it's immediately paid off with dad, you know, um, essentially reneging on what the headmaster, the headmaster expelling him. But, you know, the wolf getting thrown out of the dance for the kid starting the fight, or kid in yeah. the commas, Mick starting the fight on the wolf, I just think it's just bloody, you know, always well, nagged at me and then like, you know, but. He doesn't get kicked out of the dance. Like in fairness, he's going, you know, he storms yeah, off. That's true. And then he says, now I've got you where I want you. You're out of here. And that is fair enough in that, you know, even though he didn't start it, he did wolf up and he ripped the guy's clothes and, you know, it's, you know, with lethal weapons, essentially, with his claws and stuff. So it's, you know, you, there's an argument there that the principal had a point. Although, of course, he didn't because he's a horrible person and, he, you know, and he called Booth a little tramp. So nasty. And Booth is such a lovely person. Yeah, he's horrible. He is. I'll yeah. put some thoughts on her for later, Defo. But um, the, so like, the keg of beer scene, amazing. Like the whole order in the keg is just stunning. The guy who owns the shop is really going for it in a way that I really <laughs> respect. And then the, the I'd forgotten that he does, obviously he does the give me a keg of beer with his red eyes, but then the fact that he does that and these as well, like it's, and, and I think it's up there with bad boys and the Skittles, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I mean, Styles going surfing, so you mentioned already, which is brilliant, the fact they, they cribbed Spider-Man's line. And then you've got Styles going surfing with a cowabunga. So he gives it a cowabunga and jumps on the top. You're like, oh, is that the first time before the turtles? I don't know. Yeah, it was pre-turtle, I'm pretty sure. Styles' best physical comedy, though, for me, is taking the keg off Lewis, and I'd totally forgotten <laughs> that moment. Where he's like, no way, Lewis. So he takes it, just falls over. <laughs> 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 the, the, the keg itself is proper dented the next scene as they go to the party oh, which I love brilliant. and then like he gets there and there's obviously hundreds of kegs so the whole thing's been almost you know futile yeah. which is wonderful and then but then he is also the MC and what a fucking MC he is he's amazing oh, yeah. Isn't he? yeah and they love him that's the other nice thing is you kind of expect him to like not be popular but he's really popular like in that sort of environment probably not in the like school like in the corridors as much people kind of put up with him but as the MC, and he's blowing kisses and stuff and everyone's loving it even pamela loving it um and and it's all really successful and yeah. i like that and also maybe fan wank maybe not but when Booth lies and she says, Oh, I, I got Scott. And he's like, Oh, and he puts them in like, you know, seven minutes of heaven cupboard type thing. You know, if she had have picked the guy, he wouldn't have done that. He did that because he wants Booth and Scott to get it on. And he knows, and they've all been friends, you know, since they're like four. That's and nice. yeah, so, and he's got a, yeah, and his relationship with Booth is lovely. And you never really go into it, but you know, they've all yeah, been friends. All, all their lives and I like it's really that. happy yes it, it feels very lived in doesn't it for yeah. something that also is probably a very quick shoot you know given Jay Fox's schedule at the time you yes. know that like it feels really really wonderful and grounded like that that's nice Shepi. the universe feels real and rich like that is great man it's, it's true I love this movie I love this movie. <laughs> I, I really appreciate Jay Fox as the comedian you mentioned it already but the that corridor scene with the wet floor is a masterclass, a masterclass. And it's him doing it right. So it's really wonderful. And then the extra little half jumps he does all the time. And like, 
I used to think he was so cool, Sheffy. I still do, but you know, obviously, he, he yeah. Was, but he was. I also wanted to just give him chops because when he first comes into the dance, he's very arrogant, and you don't often see that side of Jay Fox. But he's in a just a really preening, interesting side of him that you don't see very often, and that's just really yeah. cool. Um, yeah. And then I've got my my favorite scene in the movie. Actually, is weird, and it just sort of hit me, but. It's the stash scene with Styles where he he reveals himself because I think I need to rewatch it. I was just writing this last night. I was like, was it all one take? And I think it was one take in terms of the the go in and they're flipping around and then he spin around and Scott's changed. Maybe it's not. Probably is. But anyway, more importantly, I love Styles's reaction. I didn't really appreciate what a stash was when I first saw this movie. Yeah. So I really liked the fact that they're looking for the stash and all that. It just, <laughs> it just made me very happy, that scene. So I just wanted to... And it also reveals, talk about a loose thread. So Lewis is Styles' younger brother, but he's talking about his older brother. Yeah. Like the stash is his older brother. It's like big brother. And, and we never see the big brother. I'm very curious what he's like. Yeah, you're right. That's a pure Bill Paxton cameos yeah. <laughs> yeah totally you would imagine so maybe not maybe maybe he's okay but he, he could easily be a bill paxton yeah, yeah. proper chat <laughs> so my a, a small little nitpick i have that i've used in my pitch when i get to it later sheppy but what is going on with booth and dad like when you know scott walks in on them playing basketball outside and it's very weird they're very oh, close, and it's well, it's you know, I don't think that's uh, that's fine. It's like again, it's like your uncle Fred who lives next door. It's they've known you know all the life, and it's basically you know it's very very avuncular. It's okay, do you know? Yeah, I'm I gonna think it say is too. But I've I've used that as a thread to pull for me. We'll okay. come to that later. So look, that's kind of my reflections on. Thank you, Sheppy, for suggesting this because it's a lovely revisit. Um. As I, 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 um, I will, um, I'm not going to tell you what the title of mine is, or maybe I can, doesn't really matter, but I just want to give you the trailer, if that's all right. Um, I'm loving this. Oh, hang on. Uh, How have I not? Oh, here we go, there we go, here we go. Um, So I was thinking, you could go with the great power line, you know what I mean, in terms of that's quite a cool line to pull from this, but instead... Instead, I'm going with a line from Coach Finstock, which is perhaps, honestly, it gave me three LOLs back to back, <laughs> this line. And, um, but instead of using it as the LOLs, I'm using it to have like gravitas, and, like play it for gravitas, which is ridiculous. But oh, imagine this over the top of the trailer. <laughs> and you just hear the, uh, maybe, maybe it's black and you hear a basketball going boom, boom. And then it just goes... Uh, there are three rules that I live by. <laughs> the first rule is never get less than 25, 12 hours sleep, which is Coach Finstock's first rule. <laughs> and then you see Scott um, tossing and turning in a bed and his hands are like manacled and he's like changing. He's trying to stop himself from changing, you know, but never get less than 12 hours sleep. Then the second line, um, never play cards with a guy who has the first name as a city. And then you see Scott sitting at a poker table sweating Jay Fox has a lot of sweating in this movie. I was sweating <laughs> profusely with a pile of cash in the middle. Maybe some dad, maybe his dad's van keys in the centre as well. He's playing against a fellow with a baseball cap that has Dallas written on it. And uh, <laughs> by the way, that scene isn't in the movie. <laughs> 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 
that's huge. You'll see where it, you'll see where it lands, but uh, and, uh, where it could where it was cut from if you don't want to be later. Nice, and yeah. Then, um, and then the final line that Coach Finstock has is, "I'd never get involved with a woman with a tattoo of a dagger on her body." And then we see Booth like getting you know looking very sexy but a bit more punky she's getting on um a, a motorbike with a number of other hell racers you know and um and then you hear him say now you stick to that and everything else is cream cheese and then basically we just get montage of all sorts of shenanigans a basketball game in front of a huge stadium huge like you know proper like nba style chanting wolf 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 you have styles and um uh and, and Scott Howard and clinking glasses in a Vegas style hangover <laughs> hotel room. Um, and um, and stars are saying, welcome to the NBA. Then you've got Scott and Booth making out in one scene. You've got Scott in an empty lecture hall slapping that little seat thing you get in lectures to write on, like, you know, <laughs> frustration. Um, you get Harold Howard driving away from something and he seems to be crying. And then you get Fox running through a campus at full tilt as his own voiceover um kicks in and you hear scott howard say or jay fox say another coach finstock line um it doesn't matter how you play the game it's whether you win or lose and even that doesn't make all that much difference <laughs> again played for laughs but here played for yeah. gravitas and um and then uh, and then after that line is cut and it's been over the top of scott like running you just see finstock in a suit this time in a dressing room but still chewing his gum and he said I, he says i said that Geez, I should write some of these down. <laughs> and Howard, <laughs> Howard is sitting opposite him as the wolf, and he goes, "They're waiting for me." And Finstock goes, "Yes, they are, kiddo." And then we follow Howard as he enters the stadium at the at the auditorium, and it's saying, "Wolf, wolf, wolf," and it just goes boom. And then wow. the, and the and the title is "Frat Wolf," by the way, Sheppy. Oh, um, in a minute, but um, <laughs> that's we never do trailers great. for our own pitches. So no, know. you're right. Which is funny because that's one of the things that we started way back in the day with our trailers. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. that's great. Oh, I'm a big fan. So anyway, Shepley, that's my tease oh, for what's what to a treat. in a bit. Well, I love it. Um, let me say, by the way, this week, so I've always been a huge um, Win in the End fan, big, big fan. Um, my friend Startup put that on a CD for me once because he knew how much of a big deal it was uh, pre-YouTube, where now you can just get it up. So that's nice. Um, big, big Win in the End fan. Probably my favourite 80s ballad. Um, and I'm including the Rocky Four soundtrack. So think about that. Um, and that's, but uh, that's all mixed in with that 2001 singing it in Waterloo scenario. So it's, it's sort of like a, a second wave of nostalgia. So it's very strong. But this week, when I've been thinking of this, you know, when I'm walking the dog, um, the the end credits song comes up, which you know, kicks in when the ball goes in and gives you a spine shiver in 1988. And it was like, um, and that song, but I can't replicate it out loud. So I can hear it perfectly in my head. Um, and it's not a power ballad. It's, it's more of a ballad ballad. Um, and it's um, a Bob ballad. And it's really, really nice. And I've been singing that to myself all this week when I've been walking the dog, um, which has been driving him nuts. So, so that's the other thing. Oh, there you go. And that's the other <laughs> thing. That's, that is good stuff. He's like, I like it too. Um, so, so I like that. And about Coach uh, Flinstock, um, the other thing is, which has been going around my head a lot this week, is him 
doing the other quote that um, didn't make your trailer, but um, the um, the whole story that I won't go in now, but like, you know, uh, his mother had a pin in her hip. You know, these, are, these are poor people. These are desperate <laughs> people. You understand what I'm saying to you? It's like, yeah, well, what happened to the kid? And he like holds his gaze for like a really long beat. He's like, I don't know, quit. He was a third stringer. I didn't need him. He's like, yeah, well, coach, I'm a first stringer. Yeah, and you you work for your dad at the hardware store. Fact of the matter is, I should be coming to you when I need money. And, and then he's like chewing his gum. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that I've been saying, I've been looking at my dog in the in the face whilst we were walking and saying, fact of the matter is, I should be coming to you when I need money. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, this poor dog has been really having it this week. So so that's nice. So that's the other thing I wanted to share. And you, you reminded me with that. That's nice. Brilliant. Well, Shepi, uh, over to you. Well, 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 Jimbo, you will be surprised. Um, this is a very different, I've gone in a very different direction, actually, to, mm-hmm. I think, what you're expecting. So I'll jump in. Um, and again, it just seems right, and it's just Teen Wolf 2. Two, the, the number, just Teen Wolf 2. Um, 1997, Jimbo. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, again, in this world, Teen Wolf was the Back to the Future. You know, Back to the Future came and went, maybe with Eric Stoltz. Oh, I forgot to mention, the street where Booth and Jay Fox are walking, and they're talking about when they ran away from home when they were like little kids and they come back and no one. That street, that's the same road where Marty McFly gets hit by his grandfather in the car. Yeah. Same street. So there you go. I'm um, happy. I know. Yeah, so that's, that's nice. But um, yeah, so this, this is Team Wolf 2. Uh, Team Wolf in 84, 85 was massive, but it's taken a while for this to, to happen. And it's when it happens, you know, the world is like on bated fucking breath. So I've got the whole cast and I've written it out here, but we don't need to hear it. Everyone basically comes back to some degree or another, but um, some of it is is basically cameo. Um, um, And I, you know, so we'll we'll get to it. There's also, um, I've written um, the the extra cast members, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, um, who was in some kind of wonderful for example and, and, and things um, again this is 97 and everything um, and I've also got a Rob Lowe type this is like a 90s Rob Lowe type but basically that's just because his character is essentially the Rob Lowe character for Wayne's World so that's why it's Rob Lowe but I don't want Rob Lowe in this but someone of that um, type and we'll get to that character now what I'm going to do is I wrote the opening scene I kind of went off on one so before I give you anything else I'm going to um, I'm going to give you the opening scene and then I'll get into the nuts and bolts of what it's all about but suffice it to say it's some years later it's 97 it's set in 97 so everyone's grown up a bit um Opening scene, it's the opening game of the town's high school basketball season. It's black and we hear the crowd and we hear the announcer slightly distorted, um, the anticipation. We fade up to the light, looking like the moon, replicating the first shot of the first film. And then we, the camera pans down to a wide shot of the court 
and we see the players coming out onto the court through like the double doors and then to the side, you know, before the match starts. And it's in this sort of semi-slow-mo, like from the first film. We see the faces of fellow students and the parents on the stands. Um, we see the coaches of both teams and one of them is Coach Finstock. 13 odd years later, he's still there. We also see the mascot. Same gum, I hope. <laughs> same gum, exact same gum. Um, the mascot of the home team is glimpsed, but not fully revealed, but we see the back of its head and, it and you know, the head turns. We see the nose, the long canine nose. So, you know, we know what that, you know, that mascot is. Now the school principal steps out and it's not the guy it's a new principal. This guy left in shame, I think. Um, so the new school principal steps out onto the court with a microphone. He's a bit stiff, but you know, he's a good sort and he attempts to build up the crowd. And he's like, welcome to the start of basketball season 1997. And the crowd cheer. Now he's about to continue when a hand enters the frame and takes the mic from him. The new speaker is only seen by the arm and as he brings the microphone to his mouth, you see the back of his head as this new speaker who's now got the microphone says, you're like, I'll take it from here, Principal Heinous. And the principal's like, Hintley. And uh, the guy's like, ah, big cheer for Principal Hyman. And the crowd kind of titters and claps. And the new speaker uh, is like, you know, saying, um, he's a natural showman and he goes on. Uh, and as he goes on and he says what I'm about to say, turns and we reveal its styles and he's older and well he's just <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah uh, he's not older and wiser but it is yeah it's stars and um and he's like he, he addresses the crowd and he's as good a showman as ever and he's like you may have heard the rumors and friends fans family you were right there are murmurs of excitement and then we cut to the outside of the court in the dark unlit corridor and coming down the corridor, we see uh, the back of, um, of a figure uh, with splashes of light and uh, lens flare um, through the door in front of him. Cut to uh, the outside of the court, the unlit corridor. Coming down the corridor, we see the back of a figure walking towards the double doors leading to the court. We see his black shiny shoes. We see snatches of his white suit. The corridor is dark with splashes of light, most of it coming from the brightly lit port ahead. Like a rock star with lens flare and flashes of stadium lighting shining in front of him as we follow the figure towards the doors. We cut back to the court, Styles is continuing, and we cut between him and the fans, both teams and everyone else present as they turn their heads and look towards the double doors with palpable anticipation. We also cut to the dark corridor. We see more glimpses of the figure getting closer to the doors in the court beyond. Styles is really going for it, obviously. He's like, friends, family, fans. Every team has a legend. Every town has a hero. And every sport has its champion. So here he is, here to start the season and set your pulses racing. Please put a very Beacon Hills High School welcome to the man. The animal, the myth, and the savior. Smash your hands, stamp your feet, and raise the roof. Some of you may call him Mr. Howard. Some of us call him Scotty. And all of us know him as the wolf. 
and the doors burst open and the crowd goes berserk and running out onto the court is Scott Howard, fully wolfed up. He's 30. He's wearing a white suit with a black shirt, very similar to his prom attire. He looks fucking good. He's filled out, but in a good way since his teenage years. He exudes charisma and confidence in class. Everyone, the home team supporters and away, the home team and away, men, women and children, they all stand and do indeed raise the roof. We see the school mascot now, and of course it's the wolf and he's jumping around. Um, Scotty Wolf, he, uh, he runs around and does like a mini lap at the court. He waves to the crowd, he throws kisses, he pumps his arms and he weaves and waves and dances about a bit. And he runs past Styles, giving him a high five. And he stops at the scoring line opposite the basket and the crowd quiet down. And the referee throws him the ball, which bounces once on the floor between them and then into his hairy hands. So Wolf Scott looks to the crowd and it's total silence. And then Wolf Scott looks to the basket ahead and it's pin drop silence. He bounces the ball once, the sound echoes around the walls. He bounces again. His eyes never leave the basket ahead. His gaze is fixed in concentration. His stance is poised. He inhales, exhales, and again, we see the faces of the crowd, individuals and groups and the masses, the long beat. Then Wolf Scott pivots 180, and in one smooth, clean move, he throws the ball the entire length of the court, through the air in a perfect arc, up, across and then down through the basket on the far end of the court. It doesn't touch the sides and the crowd goes mental. And Scott waves, he dances, he kisses some more. Uh, Styles throws him the microphone, which he catches. And again, the crowd hushes and Scotty Wolf holds the microphone to his lips, but then he drops it to the ground and he shouts at the top of his voice, let's play some ball. And the place fucking erupts. Even the other team are beaming. And Scott <laughs> air kisses the crowd again, holds his arms up high and wide. And we semi-freeze frame uh, and the sound goes echoing and we dissolve to after the match. And people are leaving uh, and there's a glow of satisfaction in everyone's faces. And as the court, we don't even necessarily find out who won. I don't know. It's not really important. And as the court stands empty, there remains a small group just in the, uh, the cleared out basketball court. Uh, we have Harold Howard, older and distinguished, of course, Harold Howard is the dad. Um, then we've got, of course, Styles, who's really sweaty and happy. He's obviously been going for it. And um, we see Booth and she's mature and she's relaxed. And with her is Pammy, a six-year-old daughter eating the last of a carton of popcorn. And we see Scott, who is now de-wolfed and he's taken off the jacket and he's now slightly ruffled, but in a good way. And he's happy and he's a, he's a bit spent. And the last of the spectators leave, giving Scott uh, and the group uh, like thumbs ups and waves. And someone who's leaving gives him a pat on the back. It might be a little moment. Um, you know, the coach Flintstock comes over and shakes his hand and pats his shoulder, probably says something witty and heads out. And finally, the five are alone in the court. Uh, they take a moment looking at each other. And Harold breaks for silence uh, with a question, pizza? And we cut to the pizzeria and the remains of the meal on the table. And that's when we catch up 
with the leads and a few things of established flawless exposition. So anyway, that was just the, the, the first scene which I just wanted to establish what was going on there. So the plot is basically this, Jimbo. Um, I will say we do, like I mentioned, have appearances from many of the original cast members, such as Chubby, who now owns a printing and paper manufacturing business, which plays a part later on, Coach Flintstock um, and so forth. Maybe Mick makes an appearance working at a garage or something, but it is basically a cameo. Um, and various members of the town are always watching this cheesy soap opera where we keep seeing glimpses of Pamela um, hamming it up. And so she's made it to an extent on That's this perfect. terrible sitcom. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, this soap opera. Um, so it's about 13 years later. Um, Scott Howard is in his like, by now, like his early 30s. He's married to Booth, and we find out all this naturally, but they're married, they have a child who's a little girl who's five or six called Pamela, named after Pamela, her godmother, who, as it turns out, was very good to Booth. Um, you know, she really learned her lesson at the end of the first film. In the, you know, she got, she helped Booth get into like a really good college because, you know, she had sway with the faculty and so forth. What happened was basically Scott and Booth graduated. They went to college, they moved to Chicago, they got married and they made careers for themselves. They had a child. Uh, Scotty actually did a real spin city. He got into politics um, and he was slowly moving up the pecking order of City Hall, but it was uh, slow going and it was a grind and a bit of bit soul destroying. And he has, we discover now, just recently quit this job. And now as a family, they've all just after being away, they've just moved back to this hometown. Um, and it's, they've been back for maybe six months. Um, now they've moved back for a few reasons. One is that they want to be closer to the family now that Pammy is ready to start school properly. And they think a small town is a better environment. Also, we learn that Booth's father has recently passed away and her mum left um, a long time ago. Um, so she wants to be back. Um, also, something might have happened in the city, which we find out about at some point. Maybe Booth was mugged or almost mugged. Maybe she had a necklace snatched um, from, from inside her car. Um, but she didn't feel safe in the city after that for herself or for Pammy. Um, but also Scott's job turned out to be, like I say, soul destroying but with big city politics and he can't make a difference. Um, so it just seemed like the, it was coming home and settling down. It seemed like the time. Um, Scott is now running for councilman in the town, maybe even mayor, despite still being young, because he's a bit of a town hero anyway. So he has that advantage. He doesn't wolf out very often, actually. He, he does it on special occasions, like, you know, for the first game, of basketball season, he'll do that since he was in town anyway. Um, but generally he doesn't, you know, use the wolf too often, much like Howard, Howard, Howard doesn't, he would assume in his day-to-day -day life as well. Um, but we do learn that deep, deep down, Scott was reluctant to come home as big city life suited him and he felt like a somebody there. Um, he was a bit addicted to the fast pace and excitement, um, and that plays a part with the upcoming storyline, and which, you know, which is that of temptation. Scott has fame uh, to be special 
um, and money is used to tempt him. Um, it comes from a good place here because he wants to make a difference. He wants to be elected for the hometown and make the town good and do do good things. Um, and it's you know he was painfully aware that was never going to happen in Chicago. So the whole opening scene shows basically it establishes his standing in the community as a bit of a rock star, and of course he likes it. Um, but he doesn't wolf out too often, um, really, in his day-to-day -day life. Uh, now back in the hometown, he's worried that he's going to settle down too much, bit of a midlife crisis or something. He's only uh, known as the wolf at home, which was always something he wanted to get away from. But now that he's back, it's sort of like helping him perhaps, you know, get elected. Um, he can use it to his advantage and furthering his political career. And it doesn't seem as, like as much of a big deal now um, because people know him. Um, now, Booth is a writer of short stories and things, and she's had some articles published in magazines and things, um, and she has found moderate success. Some of her observational pieces have been published in various magazines of various standing, and one recent piece has sort of put her on the map. And it was about um, an article about how small town living versus big city life. Um, so she has some minor celebrity, which Scott isn't jealous of as such, but it has shone a light on his own hidden dissatisfaction. Now, as we also have discovered, Styles is back in town too. He did not go to college, but he left town after graduating high school and had several adventures in the last decade. He traveled, he says. He says he went to India and became a guru, but as it, it turns out at some point, that he was actually not in India, but in Indiana as a door-to-door -door salesman. That and many failed small business ideas has actually grinded um, styles down a bit too. There's a theme going on here, like the realities of real life, as opposed to the glamour of the big fish small pond of high school. And he sort of yearns for the glory days and he sees Scott's return as a sign. So he's come back as well. And he talks Scott into letting him be his campaign manager for the upcoming election. Uh, he obviously wants them to go big and lean into the wolf of it all. And Scott is like, oh, I don't know, Stars. Um, Lewis, is, um, is in it, um, the younger brother, who must be about 28 or so by now. Um, and you know, Lewis has become a bit of a cunt. He's not a villain, but he has become a businessman of sorts and he has succeeded where his older brother Styles has failed. Uh, and he's got some small influence in the town and he's known as a bit of a whiz kid. And he is lording it over Styles a bit now, you know. Um, and also perhaps Lewis doesn't have the town's best interests at heart. You know, he quote unquote helps small businesses sell up and make a profit for the owners and himself. But it does mean that uh, chains, you know, chain stores, for example, and um, have been moving in and the town is losing some of its individuality, some of its unique personality. Um, this selling and helping to buy out all the small businesses of the town, of course, has made him an indirect enemy of Scott's dad. Harold, who still owns and runs the hardware store. It is also Lewis, by the way, who is used by the film's real villain to get a foot in on the town, offering Lewis a job with money and power and so forth. Um, 
Lewis is also against Scots running for mayor, partially because Scots are all about keeping the town pure and keeping its identity, but also, frankly, he still has a bit of a fear-based prejudice against Scott and Wolves, which is one thing that was never really resolved in the first film. By the end of the film, spoilers though, he turns it around and he does endorse Scott, he changes his own policies and is a help to small businesses instead of an enemy. He is instrumental in helping Howard Sr. keep his shop. Um, he was previously pressuring him to sell and also he's sort of pushing retirement age is Howard Sr. at this point. Now about the kid who's like five or six, Pammy. Pammy is a cool kid. She's not one of these precocious types. Uh, she has a strong bond with her parents, but also a special friendship with her grandfather, Harold, um, and they share some nice scenes together. But she isn't happy about moving to this town away from her friends in the city. Uh, she also is secretly jealous of Harold and Scott's special abilities. You know, she doesn't resent anyone in any way, but she feels she's destined to be normal and live in the shadow. And she has like a, a couple of scenes with Booth about like being the quote unquote normal people in a family of superstars. Um, but she also has some nice one or two father-daughter scenes with Scott. You can see Jay Fox really going through it on that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene, for example, where um, Scott and Pammy are shooting hoops, just like that inappropriate scene in the first one, um, <laughs> shooting hoops in the driveway, but she's frustrated with her lack of skills. Um, and there's another scene where she's helping Scott clean out the gutters, you know, getting the leaves out of the roof gutters. And it's a hard job. And so um, Scott uh, cheats and he wolfs out to get the job done quicker, which again makes her feel slightly inadequate. Um, now I'm gonna jump around a little bit here, but I'm gonna say this, the antagonist of the piece, therefore the baddie, the Rob Lowe type is Milton Brady, who's in his forties. He wants to capitalize on Scott's wolf celebrity. Um, he's like a businessman. He's basically Rob Lowe in Wayne's world, uh, making him a spokesperson uh, for his brand. Uh, he headhunts Lewis and to get Lewis into getting Scott to, you know, uh, he wants to add Scott to his label, basically. He is charismatic and witty and charming and slick. I've got here, he is in equal styles which is a concept that appeals to me. Um, also, Milton has a secret weapon, a very attractive lady who's played by Thingy from uh, some kind of wonderful. Uh, she's like in her late 20s and who we discover relatively early on is a wear lady. And this is Cassie Sinclair. Now she's not just a Pamela clone either. Um, she's not vacuous or anything. And she's not like a, traditional sex bomb. She's obviously very attractive though. Um, she's smart, she's sassy, she's spiky. She has her own plans and dreams and is working for Milton because it pays well and she wants to move out of her mother's shadow um, and make a name for herself. Um, so, you know, so she is basically there to seduce Scott and to get him on, on team Milton. But she has a genuine attraction towards Scott. Um, so she is sent in to charm and snare Scotty. He, of course, is tempted in all the ways. Uh, and also they have a huge wolfy chemistry, you know, based on their mutual wolfiness. 
Um, they are kindred spirits, in fact, in many ways. And she tempts him, not just sexually, but also due to this connection. No one else Scott has ever met has been a contemporary wolf. Uh, and no one knows what it's like to be a wolf in this generation. So uh, when they're both wolves together, she releases in him a hitherto unseen side. Together, they can really do anything. Um, she makes him feel special and symbolizes a way for him to escape every trapping that he's been afraid of falling into. She's a bit of a wild, bad girl. Um, she never had the moral parental figure that Scott did. Uh, her mother, we find out, has since got it together, but wasn't there for her in her formative years. So there's a resentment there, which has, of course, led to this mass rebellion and uh, lack of contact. Now, we also discover her mother was also a wolf, just like in Scott's family, apparently it's every male generation. Um, it's the same in her family with females. So her mother was also a wolf, uh, and so therefore the mother hated the wolf which her daughter became when she was young. In fact, she was horrified when her daughter became a wolf herself. And as a mother, she handled it very badly and basically turned her back on her 13-year-old daughter, thus a mass rebellion. And like um, in real life, female wolves mature faster than male wolves, so they, she, you know, they, they become wolves younger in the female you know, side of things. Um, now, there's a scene around the halfway point when um, Scott's with Cassie, and she's like being cool with him and turning his head. Um, it's night, and following her lead, they both break into the school, and he gives her like a sneaky tour of the deserted hallways and classrooms and things. And he opens up a bit about his teenage years, what his life was like pre-wolf and post, the effect it had on him and those around him, and they bond. And they end up on the deserted basketball court where she says, you know, where the legend was born. And he looks about the silent room, giving it the hallowed ground respect it deserves. He turns around and she's wolfed up and she performs like a smooth move and kicks up and catches a basketball. And she says, how about some one-on-one? -on -one? And, you know, he, he makes the decline and he's a bit flustered. Um, some of the old Scott Howard coming out. And she does a real kind of like a think fast move with the ball and throws it at him super fast because, you know, with wolf power. And we cut and we just see him catch it cleanly and equally smoothly. He himself is now all wolfed up in like a nanosecond. Um, and then they have this incredibly spirited one-on-one -on -one basketball game. They're both wolfed and they are both superhuman and they uh, perform wonderful, astonishing moves. They intercept and move around each other, getting close, very hot and heavy. Scott has never played against someone his equal before, and it has an effect on him. The chemistry is through the roof. The animal instincts are off the chart. They score off each other point for point, jumping, leaping, spinning, dexterous, it doesn't even do it justice. <laughs> and they end up panting nose to nose. They are a wolf hair away from losing control but Scott pulls it back and he de-wolves and he steps away. And she's disappointed, of course, and a bit angry, but he's like, you know, maybe we should just leave it as a draw. And she's like, maybe for now. Um, so it's, it's huge, but I'm gonna say again, a bit of a, it's, it's good stuff. Um, she's not evil, 
Um, you know, her father figure is Milton, who is, of course, nasty and been using her for nefarious duties. Not just this, but, you know, for a little while, she's been doing all sorts of nasty things for him. Um, but spoilers, by the end, it is not she who corrupts Scott, but it is Scott who saves her. Yeah, during the, the gutter cleaning scene, there might be like even like a little, you know, he turns on the radio, turns up the volume with his daughter and he walks out and Scott Wolf is like leaping about the roof and playing air guitar and cleaning the leaves out, of, you know, and doing, you know, whilst, you know, sh um, showboating to his embarrassed daughter whilst looking around the roof and stuff. I also thought actually there's another scene where Scott is uh, with Styles and they're canvassing houses for the election you know, pure kind of like knock, knock, like, hi there, I'm Scott Howard and I'm running for office. Can I count on your vote next Thursday? And there's like a little montage of him and Styles doing this. Of course, there's lots of like opportunity for Styles to do witty and wacky things and probably inappropriate things as Scott's campaign manager. And of course, like I say, he wants him to lean into the wolf of it all. So, so they're going around the hounds and the houses and there's like a little montage of doors opening um, and it's like revealing humorous homeowners from all walks of life. There's like a goth couple who open the door. There's like a dippy blonde. There's a couple who look suspiciously like identical twins, each holding an identical ch chihuahua. There's a man with a face like a tombstone. And they all give funny replies to Scott's answers, uh, questions. There's a sweet looking elderly old lady who's like, Oh, he goes, hi, hi, I'm Scott Howard, and can I count on your vote? And uh, she's like, oh, why, of course you may, dear. And then she leans in and adds all like conspiratorially, you will be legalizing it though, won't you, honey? Puff goes the magic dragon, you know what I'm saying? And Scott is all flustered and Styles is fucking loving it. <laughs> uh, and then finally they get to the end of the montage and he knocks on a door and we have the uh, the door opens and it's the old principal, Mr. Thorne. No, this might be the only scene he's in, but he opens it and Scott's really flustered. He asks for his vote and the man is scathing and things actually get a bit nasty for a moment. Um, and Scott leaves defeated and then Styles takes off his shades and he looks at the ex-principal in the eyes and he mimics Scott's, you know, red-eyed liquor store trick. And in his best impre impression and his best approximation of the voice, he says, I want your vote on Thursday. And the principal slams the door in Styles' face. Um, so when... Awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, at one point, so Scott does get semi-corrupted by Milton and the power play. Um, and he has, he does have styles drive him about in like a kind of a wolfmobile with you know, up on the roof and do it throwing out flyers oh and the flyers of course come from chubby's uh you know store um, where you know, which he produces um, you know and he's doing like electing scott howard proud sponsor of brady's power drink add goosh to your moosh <laughs> but, but you know so he, he becomes a bit of a sellout in the dark moment towards the end of act two to scott um but by the end spoilers scott is elected of his own skills and not his wolf like ability not the superficial wolf celebrity angle and milton is exposed as being dirty um and cassie by the way ends up with styles 
Um, Scott never cheats on Booth, and by the end, their relationship is stronger than ever before. Now, Booth does have more to do in this film that I've got into here. Um, she is instrumental in turning Lewis around, uh, and she's instrumental in finding a way to expose Milton with, in the end, with Cassie's help. Um, and she's, um, she brings Pammy back into the family fold after some wobbles about not being accepted. And they both deal with the pros and cons of you know being the only non-wolves of the family. Um, now Booth has some issues with Scott though, and she feels let down and betrayed by him. So again, in the dark end of Act Two, see really going into the third act uh, when Scott has to turn it around and get back on track. And you know she's she's not just it's not about being threatened by Cassie necessarily. Um, but it's mainly just by Scott's unhappiness reflecting on her. And you know, she's like, is that all I am to you? A mistake, a regret, something other than the road not taken? You know, you, you feel bad about where your life is, but what do you think that makes, how, how does that make me feel? Um, so the climax, the big climax really of the film is Scott winning the election and Milton being shown up as what he is. But actually, it's the main focus is Scott win, winning Booth back, winning back her trust. And he gives a big speech to the rallying crowd. And this is in the basketball court again, where, you know, small town and they're waiting for the ticket tapes and everything for the election results to come in. And Scott's giving a speech and everyone again is like, wolf, wolf, wolf. He's like, no, wolf, not now, not ever. He doesn't do it exactly like that, but it is a similar thing where it's like, I'm going to win. It's going to be for me. Um, and he's giving a speech to his, his crowd and they're loving it. Um, and he's standing on a little stage or a podium in the basketball court giving the speech. But he's, he turns it slowly over the course of the speech into a personal apology to Booth. And he goes on, you know, as he continues, he stops addressing the crowd and locks eyes just with her. And he steps off the stage and he starts to walk towards her and he lowers the mic as he walks further through the crowd to her, going from you know, massive showboating at the beginning to ending on this really intimate conversation, just speaking at a normal volume, which only really she can hear right in the middle of the big crowd of supporters. That's nice. And they end up face to face. And he says like, this election, this job, this everything is nothing without the one person I would do it all for or give it all up for. That's you, Bruce. Will you still have me? And she says, yes, I'll still have you. And she beams and he beams and they kiss and the crowd goes fucking nuts and they all cheer him on the same court as at the beginning of the film. Um, so that's nice. Um, meanwhile, by the way, Cassie's relationship with her mother is healed. The mother turns up towards the end. Um, maybe she's even instrumental in digging up some sort of like dirt on Milton. And so the mother turns up and sort of saves the day at the last second with a, And, you know, she's all with a teary apology to Cassie and subsequent forgiveness. And she wolfs up and intimidates Milton to get out of town. And she's like, stay away from my daughter. And, you know, and this is, and Milton probably pisses himself. Um, and this is witnessed by Harold, um, who's hiding around the corner. He sees this and he is impressed. And in the final scene, when Scott is elected and so forth, it is heavily implied that Cassie's mother and Harold will get together. Um, 
And so the end sees the town saved, Lewis making peace with himself and with Scott and with Styles. Styles has found his niche in adult life and is actually headhunted to run another political, uh, political campaign in the next state. So he leaves to do that with Cassie. Um, Booth reveals she's written a novel based on uh, family strength and town spirit. And the coda has the crowd filing out of the court again, just like at the beginning. And after all of the excitement and fanfare, it's now kind of quiet and the last of the people are leaving. Um, and it's just the core characters alone on the basketball court with you know, ticker tape and ribbons and balloons strewn about after the celebrations. And Pammy has found some peace because she's no longer worried that she'll be living in Scott's shadow anymore. And Scott throws her, you know, the little girl a ball um, and you know, says, you know, hey, we never had that rematch. And she says, like, no, thanks, Dad. I think I'll find my own again. And then she turns and casually throws the ball, which mirrors the opening scene again. And the ball sails up through the air, right across the court and, and through the net at the far side. And everyone's like, what? This little girl. And she turns around and her eyes are red. And she gives a little growl and smiles and winks at her parents who are gaping. And Harold is like, oh, I guess we have a new hairball. And Styles is like, there goes the neighborhood. And it's crisp. <laughs> and a cute that. power ballad there. Oh, and I've got a tag Jimmy. <laughs> um, tag Win all over again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, damn it. Yes. Um, tagline, Jimmy, is. Uh, when you take the shot, shoot for the moon. And uh, that's, that's my nice. team of two. Well, look, one thing we didn't mention at the top, Sheps, was that there is a TV show called Team Wolf, which I've not seen an episode of, but it, no, it has I happened and it's out there. That's true. And it's I hope they're mentioning. bloody listening. I hope they're bloody listening. Because what I love about that is it's so grounded in reality, Sheppy. It's just wonderful. Like you, because I, I got lost on the fact, well, he's not, well, he, and, and the point is he's not a bloody teenager when he filmed it, and no one's a teenager as a movie. <laughs> but, you know, I couldn't get my head out of the fact that probably he wouldn't be a teenager again in the sequel for me. But what I like is you've taken the man, the myth, the teen wolf, and you've made it about that bubble of a time that then set up the legend that enabled the political career and the rest of it and all that. And it was really cool, man. I love it. Two other things I really love, like just even using the basketball court for the election and the results and the moment at the end is just genius. Cause that's exactly where it would be. It's just wonderful. And Lewis as well, I feel was really underserved in the move, the original because they tear up well. He's scared of the wolf and they never really yeah. resolved that in the movie. There should be a moment where yeah, he kind of, Except right. it, you know, and that's really it's nice. Yeah. Um, they even at the end uh, of the first film, there should have been a shot of Lewis, like, you know, going and cra- congratulating Scott and they hug or something, yeah. or even just him in the crowd smiling. Um, and yeah, so it's a missed opportunity. But man, it's brilliant. It's lovely. And I love the whole dynamics with you. Your other wolfy lady and the 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 wolf's hair away from uh, a naughty moment. <laughs> <laughs> that is great, Sheppy. Lots of fun, man. That's wonderful. One thing occurred to me, um, and I, if um, if you wanted to make the film actually a bit more somber and 
melancholy to an extent. It, it, I, I toyed very, very briefly with the idea that it's like, you know, everything's the same. It's like 13 years or 15 years later, um, but Bruce is dead and she like died of something, illness or something, and it's dark. And, and so that's why Scott and the daughter come home. And it's kind of got a Rocky Balboa situation. And also, you know, we can assume that Scott's mum died of an illness. Or, you know, and so it's another single dad sort of situation. So I, I didn't obviously go in that direction, but that's like, if the actress doesn't want to come back, then that's a... That's a yeah. I'm glad you didn't. I don't think, I no. think that's too much. I, I think yeah. I wouldn't like that. I'm assuming yeah. there's lots more comedy in yours as well, Sheppy. I mean, you've yes. already got it with the bloody door knocking and Styles pretending to be the wolf, and it is bloody amazing. But uh, but yeah, at the end alone with the kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that yeah, and you know, hey, if it's a hit, Team Wolf three, you could oh. have uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the first one we come to do is the standing on the shoulders of idiots. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Team Wolf 3. Sentence. A sequel to Sheppy's Team Wolf 2. Um, <laughs> I'm all you. over that. <laughs> it's really fun. That's lovely. Um, well, okay. Well, I'm very, very happy. Uh, I want a bit of frat action, please. <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, I got very bogged down in that. So um, I, 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 couldn't wrestle with the Teen Wolf until you've shown me how it could be done. So, Frat Wolf, 1988, directed by nice. Rod Daniels, same man as nice. back, written by a commando man as well. Nice. Um, and, oh, i tell you one other bit of Googleage I did. Lewis is, as the brother of Styles, he's actually also the brother of Flight of the Navigator. How about that? Oh, my God, that's huge. Anyway, so that's... That is good. huge. <laughs> He looks so different. He does, yeah. It's nice. It's good. I'm glad he's renter, bro. Um, <laughs> so, I, my all the same, exactly by you. Same cast back, basically cameos, etc. One addition, which is James Tolkien, Strickland, <laughs> oh, as Coach Crane. So, oh, uh, we'll, uh, Tolkien we'll bald that. guy. Yes, <laughs> an angry man. Shouting at Fox. I just want some of that again, please. Um, but anyway, um, same as the original movie. We start black, heartbeat, sound. Um, same fonts as well with the, whatever, you know, like the coolness. Um, and then basically that boom, 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 boom. It turns out it's actually a Dean wrapping his knuckles against the table when we reveal as he's assessing Scott Howard's application for um, Nebraska Lincoln Uni. Let me say that Scott Howard is um, sitting opposite no less sweaty than he is at the beginning of Team Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think we've got some Michael J. Fox uh, eyebrow acting here as the dean is reading his application, you know, like kind of waiting for the, am I going to get in or whatever, you know? And, uh, and the dean says that, you know, your grades are mixed at best, Howard. And, um, and by the way, I love the fact that he gets an A as the wolf. Like, it's not just yeah. that he's like, he's good at sport and too wolf. He's amazing in his classes as well. Anyway, <laughs> um, or maybe the teacher just fancies him. But anyway, and um, so he's going for, uh, for the, the dean just says, you know, business studies, hey, you know, and he goes, yes, sir, I want to like, take after my, my dad, you know, and all this. And the dean just gives it a big exhale. And then outside, cut to outside, he's with Booth. I got in, everything's very happy and giggling, and Booth's going to the same university. And we're, I've gone back to the same town as well, Sheppy, so we've got that iconography of that town, you know, back to the dad's shop. 
when they get back to the dad's shop, there's a couple of guys in suits and um, they want to um, offer Scott a scholarship at one of the big basketball universities like Duke, Northwestern, Kentucky. I did a Google there, but, you know, one of those basically. Nice. The, their, their condition is he'd need to be the wolf, though, for their basketball teams, and Scott turns them down. He starts uni locally with Booth, um, and in the first scene, um, similar to my, here I am, self-referencing my own sequel to Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Really, God, it's, it's all the same universe. It's a new, yeah, all the same universe. So the dad is uh, dropping them off. Um, I'd imagine it with a very contrived trailer at the back that he's used all his tools to, to pull together. Um, and um, he's dropping them off at uni. And um, there's no Neil Page at this uni drop-off. But um, mm-hmm. but essentially, as the, as he's dropping them off, he just he kind of gives Booth almost the same attention as he does Scott Howard. So this is kind of pulling my inappropriate basketball scene a bit. And, and he's like, you know, you okay. And just checking in with her. And, um, and Jay Fox, Scott just kind of clock, by the way, I'm going to refer to Scott Howard as Jay Fox as much as Scott Howard. And I'm probably going to refer to um, Strickland as coach crane. And probably. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that's perfect. (laughs) And so, um, they're, they're at uni together. Styles, of course, even though he's nowhere near the uni himself as a student, inexplicably perhaps, but is coordinating chaotic frat parties and that kind of thing. Um, and um, and those parties are crazy. And I haven't really pulled this idea much, but let's just say that's the opportunity for a Mick cameo from the first one. And um, and they basically then Styles contrives to get Mick and Scotty to play beer pong against one another. So they're doing like little ping pong balls instead of basketballs. And um Scotty wins that. And um, and there's a hey Mick, no hard feelings, but Mick just you know grunts and moves on, like trying to be or whatever, or gets embarrassed somehow. I haven't really worried about that, but that's that's the scene um, as part of the frat partiness. During the frat party as well, though, Booth and Scott are also talking about going all the way. They they're both a little nervous. And this will be Scott's first time as a human, which he wants to keep special for Booth. Um, and um, so at some point during the party, they take themselves off to a bedroom and it starts to get frisky. And then Booth runs out, like kind of cutting it short. And it's kind of a bit of a reverse of last time when they're in their little seven minutes of heaven covered. Um, and so turns out at you, so it's obviously a bit of a weird moment between the two of them. Things are a bit odd. Scott is actually flunking the studies. He's not coping well. He's not academic. Um, and then also um, he goes back to visit his dad to get some relationship advice and maybe some business advice to help him with one of his assignments. And as he gets there, the dad, his dad's store has been temporarily foreclosed sort of thing, you know, and there's a sign up. And his dad had been hiding it from him, the fact that he couldn't keep up with bills and they were struggling a little bit. So Scott decides to take the offer up Um of, uh, of of the university basketball at a, at a top area and and play as the wolf again for them um, to help dad and um, and and Booth's relationship was obviously a bit rocky as well so um, he goes to that that uni of course he turns up there's enormous fellas in the dressing room um, and uh, and they when he first arrives they just throw their kits at him. Like you because know, <laughs> they think he's strap on the boy. face. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, and it's uh, and Strickland's the coach here. We've got our coach. Uh, what do I even call him? <laughs> coach Crane um, is here uh, as as the coach. So in this um, spot and in this uni, 
he starts to smash it out of the park and um you know as the wolf again and is getting lots of attention and um and and some of the bigger nba clubs are starting to take notice he's loving it as the wolf again his ego's through the roof around the, the uni campus it's all happening again you know um and um coach finstock comes to one of the games and that's the one that's in the trailer um <laughs> and uh and he's quit teaching now and he's actually taking up a job coaching in the NBA because what he achieved with his little high school team has caught the notice of somebody, you know, wow. at a, and it's the Las Vegas Aces, which is a relatively small potatoes basketball team, I think. I don't know. So apologies, Vegas Aces fans out there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he wants Scott to join him. That's where they have their little locker room exchange, you know. Scott's played out let's get in the game. The coach is saying, we don't want to wait till the draft's here. You know, the coach is not a villain. Flintstock's not a villain here. He just sees the potential in Scott. Um, he wants to bring him in, you know, and, and, and early, you know, because that'll help him be successful as a coach too. But he wants to play a couple of years for us. Then he can move on to one of the big boys in Chicago or something, you know what I mean, play for the Bulls. And um, I'm going to cover your flights to and from school. Don't worry about it. And besides, I already spoke with your agent. And then Styles is there with sunglasses <laughs> on the journey's outside. <laughs> uh, so the whole thing is all he's got to do for coach Finstock is get the Las Vegas Aces to the playoffs if he can like, I mean that's kind of the objective of this of this because the Aces are so low down at the moment in the league system um, he's, he's not sure at first he calls his dad his dad isn't sure but then look he signs for them he sends his first check home and um, and then of course Styles and Scott go to Vegas you know what I mean to go and join up with this team so they're not they're not twenty one yet, Sheppy. So that we can we can absolutely rehash the keg scene, and um, and and basically, I like the idea of the meme to get into a casino in Vegas, and Scott uses his eyes to to get them in. Um, it's only red eyes, and uh, he's still not quite showing the wolf, you know. And then in the in the toilets or something, you know, Stars is like, "Come on, man, you got to show him the wolf out there." You know, it's time to get this thing under control, and that's the arc for Scott. It's basically about being his full self and controlling the wolf over this whole period. So, look, they rock the casino, they have a wild night out, and then they the campus is so huge they've actually built a frat party around the wolf, and they fill a through full moon. They throw a full moon party as well, and. Um, Booth has come to visit Scott at this uni on that day to sort of try and make good, apologise and that sort of thing. And Scott has not actually been with anybody else over this period, so he's still pining for her a little bit. So she's come up to visit him. They they go, they go basically go to this party. They're still to consummate. As midnight approaches and they've got all the students around and stuff and they're just getting pissed with their red cups that they always do in American movies. <laughs> <laughs> Booth break they're, they're just sort of kissing stuff, but Booth, Booth breaks away again awkwardly and runs off. Scott catches up to her um, in a clearing, and spoiler alert, she's a wolf too, and um, oh. wanting to hide it for from him because she saw how much he loved it and how it made him feel. And you know, he we know that about Fox in all his movies. He kind of he really needs to kind of get that validation doesn't he all the time you know and, mm. and and she sees that in him and just wanted to kind of try and hide it from him that's obviously why his dad kind of took her under his wing a little bit and all that sort of stuff anyway um oh, nice. and then um you know, scott goes to speak to his dad and you know his his dad said insisted that was you know was mum a wolf too sort of thing 
and um, and his dad shows him an album and he's like yeah you know and we had a pride spoiler alert for team wolf three or whatever you know for me but you know there's kind of a there's a whole like almost <laughs> i sort of see it as a really almost inappropriate 70s gang of characters almost car keys <laughs> in the bloody <laughs> you know group wow. of werewolves like knocking around in the 70s yeah right um but look there's not much more to this shepherd apart from to say here are our arcs you know Booth becomes a fully fledged uh, wolf. They they consummate their relationship. There's an to moment, you know, where <laughs> Scotty and Booth have some fun. Um, Styles manages to just about negotiate being um, Jay Fox's agent. I can see a very fun scene with him trying to haggle with you know some of the big boys in the NBA and like, not pulling it off. Yeah. And, um, um, Scott manages to control his wolfiness. Um, of course, he plays and wins the playoff game for, for his old coach and to get himself into the NBA, and that's the final scene of the movie. Um, his dad's business is saved, and he, and he gives some of the money to charity. Do you know what I mean? That he's going to be earning yeah. the game. We establish Scotty's a nice boy. Um, and, and that's basically frat wolf. That's great. He could give it to, like, a, you know, a dog shelter. He like yes. you can found. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. That's great. Love it. Um, uh, yeah, that's lovely. I love I'm it. Sorry, what uh, a twist about man. Booth. What a twist. <laughs> what, what a twist about Booth. Uh, astonishing. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned that. Yeah, I, I have the same director coming back as well. Hot off canine. Uh, and I like that for you. He did a good job, didn't he? He's earned it. Absolutely. He's not and I like the fact. I think, Sheppy. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, he made it. The last thing he did was around 2005 or something. Okay. Interesting. But he's around, he's around for both of our things. Mm. So that's why. So I'm sure that will make him rest happy. That, that's so cool. And Frat Wolf, by the way, is such a good idea. And you could really like push it into kind of Porky's territory a bit in that 80s special way. And why not lean into like an older audience, even, you know, like the temptation is to go younger with a sequel like Ghostbusters 2, but you could actually, you know, have some naughty humour in there, even a bit more than Teen, the first one. Which, by the way, has got a very racy party going on. Very racy, like, you know, yeah. you know, uh, cream wrestling and all sorts. Of yeah, movies. right. Hold the jelly! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would I wouldn't mind going to that party. I wouldn't want to eat any jelly. Um, no. but um yeah, it sounds <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun. I uh, pretend I, I like picked it. you for the cupboard, Sheffy. So we could just no, do a I podcast in the that. cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yes, yes, body in heaven. Um yeah, bring it. Lovely, lovely Jimmy. I, yeah, I always watch the shit out of that. Nice Sheps. Well, I I think all that befalls the agenda is is what we're gonna do next time, right? And, yes, uh, I have three movies in front of me that I wrote down at the end of my little pitch, and all three I'm going to do at some point now, which is great. So I had a good thought about this last night, what it's going to be, and I'm just going to go with the first one I wrote down. I don't know if it's necessarily the best of the three, but here we go. I'm excited. I'm always so excited in moments like this. Honestly, I'm all a quiver with anticipation, Jimmy. It's like Christmas morning wrapped up in a big bow. Uh, lay it on me. What, what, what's it going to be? So we're going a bit more current, a bit more current. I'd say about 20 years. I haven't even looked up when it was filmed. But um, and a British movie, Sheppy. Oh, well, I, mean, I don't know. I'm assuming it was financed by Brits, but it was certainly made by Brit. 
Um, I would like a, a sequel to Shaun of the Dead, please. Crikey! I don't know where you go or how you go with that, but I just thought of that yesterday, and I thought, oh, yeah, why not, man? Let's just bloody throw that around. That's wonderful. It's working title, which is big British, so it is English produced, I believe. Nice. Yes. Yeah, happy. Yes. So it sort of oh. blows out the Cornetto trilogy, but don't don't get too hung up on that. We'll just, um, you That's know, fine. we can do our own thing for Sean. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, oh, I love it. Oh, wonderful. Yes, please. That's great. Um, <laughs> what, a, what a lovely choice. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I look forward to that. Wonderful. Nice. It's uh, which, a bit sort of Halloween-y, I suppose you could say. Yeah, we got Wolf and then Zombie. So, yeah, uh, I'll have to start thinking about my Dracula Dead and Loving It too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, loving it. Very nice. Okay, Jimbo. Um, well, then we better just finish this off with some sort of sign-off. Anything coming to mind? I, I mean, a basketball doing its thing on the hoop is just not, it's not good podcasting, is it? Do you mean, yeah. I'm looking for a point. You gave me a slam dunk. <laughs> <laughs> and you can take that to the halfway point. We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.